Let's bow once more before we look into the word of God together. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, you are truly a good and gracious king. And Lord, we come into your presence today uh, with the, the hope and the joy of those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That those who have experienced not only your grace, but to know what true eternal peace is all about. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, as we glean from uh, the second verse in Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, that you would help us to apply that word in a way that will glorify you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. And Tim read verse 2, our text for today. Uh, But as you know, today is kind of a milestone in the study of the book of Ephesians already because we actually made it out of verse 1. But we learned a lot uh, in verse 1 that will set the stage for everything else to follow. Uh, Because in verse 1, we talked about Paul, who was a man uh, that did not love the Lord Jesus Christ, who instead was actually a persecutor of anyone who put their faith and trust in Christ Uh, to the point of actually dragging people off, dragging people out of their homes uh, for the purpose of them either being beaten or put in prison or even put to death. Uh, But something very miraculous happened because the resurrected Jesus, the Son of God, appeared to who was then Saul, uh, the one who we uh, state as Paul in verse 1 of Ephesians, uh, and changed his world turned everything inside out and upside down because the one whom he persecuted with all of the passion and glory of, of himself uh, found himself uh, putting his faith and trust in Christ alone. The one he persecuted became his savior. Uh, and so we read that he became an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, this was not something where Paul was seeking Jesus Christ out was not seeking salvation out because in his mind, as we saw scripturally, as unto the law, he saw himself perfect. He saw himself as a perfect man, uh, but in God's eyes, he was a fallen, disobedient man who was at war with God. Uh, And he stepped down by grace uh, into the life of Saul, uh, who is now Paul in our text, Uh, and showed him who Jesus Christ truly was. As the resurrected Savior came to him on that road that day. And he writes this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus. And as we learned uh, a couple weeks ago, saints, uh, in the context of the New Testament, uh, and and as Paul uses it here, is anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, there is uh, no special, um, you know, dispensation of any sort. Uh, there's nothing that man can do. Uh, there's nothing that any man can appoint to anyone to call them a saint. That comes as a, uh, a result of someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ alone. So every believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, or if you're listening online, you are a saint because of Christ in you. 
Uh, and it says, who are in Ephesus. And as we uh, took a look at that, uh, we established the fact that this letter uh, is a little bit unlike uh, the rest of Paul's letters because there's no individual, uh, there's no specific situation that is spoken to. And so many believe that this was a letter that was meant to circulate throughout the churches in Asia. Uh, Ephesus being uh, probably the starting point uh, because of its locale and because it was central to uh, Asia there. Uh, And it says, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, So saints are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints are not faithful in the works that they do. They are not faithful uh, in their own power. They are faithful because of Christ in them. It's the power of God, not only unto salvation, but also the keeping power of everyone who trusts Christ. And so that's the context of verse 2, where it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at two things today that uh, that come from God the Father. And you'll notice it says God our Father. So Paul is including himself as one of those saints, one of those who has been redeemed. Uh, and he says, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus is the one who makes all that possible. Because uh, apart from his sacrifice... Uh, As we'll find out later on in the book of Ephesians, we are still dead in our trespasses and sin, that we do not desire God in any way, uh, and it takes a work of God himself through Jesus Christ and through the the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring us to salvation, Uh, all to the glory of God the Father. Uh, And so we're going to take a look at those uh, two phrases, grace to you and peace. Uh, Those two things can only come from God. Uh, And so... As we think about this introductory um, second verse, uh, the words grace and peace actually convey uh, a warmth uh, of Paul towards his readers. Uh, The fact that he loves them and uses a special greeting uh, for them to embrace uh, because they hold a very special place in Paul's heart because they are his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's his family. You know, we I often, uh, as I start out the service, I, I say, good morning, church family, because that's what Jesus Christ does. We become his bride. Uh, we become the church when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is a living organism uh, that is at its head is God the Father, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and so uh, Paul is writing to those who are of like precious faith, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, because we know that from verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this is not just a generic letter of random thoughts. This has particular purpose and focus and has behind it uh, Paul's heart, because his heart has been changed. It went from being a lifeless, dead, spiritually uh, yeah, in uh, opposition to God, heart, to one that is beating with spiritual life because of Christ. So in our modern-day culture, you know, as we think about grace and peace, you know, I need to identify how we define these terms, uh, and then we're going to take a look at how uh, in Paul's day these words were used, and then we're going to see Paul's specific use of these words. Uh, as if you would be able to pick that out of the text this morning by just seeing the words grace to you and peace. You think it's pretty simplistic. Well, it's not uh, because there's actually great depth to that. Because in our modern day culture, we would see grace being defined as something uh, as being elegant in form, manner, or motion. 
So we identify grace with the way in which an individual carries themselves, the way that they put forth who they are, um, what their identity is, and what uh, they you know do in their actions as well as their words, um, how they, they integrate and move through uh, life. Uh, peace would be defined as the absence of war or a state of harmony uh, where maybe two individuals um, related or not, uh, or maybe two countries related or not can, uh, you know, at least uh, on the surface uh, say that they are at harmony with one another. But as we know scripturally, only God knows our hearts. Uh, and so what the, the peace that we would think of and even the grace that we would think of uh, are actually not uh, what would have been in the mind of Paul's, you know, uh, you know, people in the, the day of Paul, but also uh, it's going to take a step further as we take a look at what his readers would think about these two words. See, in Paul's day, grace and peace were actually quite commonly used. Uh, grace in particular was a Gentile address uh, where someone would, you know, actually say the words greetings. Uh, you know, most of us don't, you know, go around saying greetings to one another. Um, you probably know what a greeting card is. Uh, but as we look back in, uh, in Paul's day, and, and we even have evidence of this today in thousands of papyri that, that actually have um, some of these, these addresses, you know, uh, penned on them. And I'll, I'll share one with you this morning. Uh, you'll have to bear with me because it's actually pretty intense. Um, this is actually the Emperor Claudius. Uh, wrote this to the people of Alexandria uh, in Egypt. And this is, this is his greeting. Tiberius Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus Imperator, Pontifex uh, Maximus, holder of the tribunal uh, power, consul designate to the city of Alexandria, greetings. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Well, let me help you out here because, you know, you hear all that and you're kind of wondering, okay, what, what, why is Pastor Billy even saying this? Well, there's a point to it. So um, this would be like me saying if I were to write a letter to the people of Hartford, Connecticut. William Martin Diggins, pastor of Ellington Baptist Church, alumnus of the Moody Bible Institute, teacher of the Holy Scriptures, ex-officio member of all church boards to the city of Hartford, greetings. That's the modern-day equivalent of what... Emperor Claudius wrote to the people of Alexandria and Egypt. And so, just so you know, I have not written a letter to the people of Hartford. Um, but it does pose the question, how on earth, after all these centuries that have gone by, has it evolved to all of that to, hi there? I'll let you think about that for a minute. See, the greetings that would have ha happened, you know, then were based off of someone's position, um, who they were connected to, what they did for a living, um, you know, everything, all that defined how people would greet one another because their station in life uh, meant everything. Uh, and so that's the grace that a normal Gentile would see uh, when they, they see the words greetings or in our text say grace to you. Well, the word peace is also a uh, common uh, greeting uh, in Hebrew. You've probably heard the word shalom. Okay, that's the, the word here. It means harmony and prosperity uh, in its common sense, uh, you know, or its common use, I should say. Uh, and we can actually see this utilized in the book of Ezra, 
so all the ladies that just finished the book of Ezra on Wednesday night, uh, this should be something that should be familiar to you. Because in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, The king sent an answer to Raham, the commander of Shimshai, the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river, greetings. And now, and then I'll save you the rest. Uh, but that word greeting is the word shalom. Uh, that would have been the common greeting. It's also seen in chapter 5, verse 7 of the book of Ezra. Uh, they sent him a report in which was written as follows, to Darius the king, all peace. And, of course, they use the actual word peace there. So this would have been the common everyday usage of these words uh, to anyone that would have been living during Paul's day. Which brings us to the next point, and as I you know, kind of prefaced a few minutes ago, is that Paul's use was far from common. Uh, and matter of fact, as we take a look at this word grace in the text, he actually uses a completely different Greek word. He uses the word charis in Greek, which is used to, in reference to the grace of God shown in his work of love through his son, Jesus Christ. So when someone would have heard um, Paul use the word charis in Greek, uh, what we have translated grace to you in your text, they would have understood that he was speaking to the, the, the reality of God's love as it was exhibited through him sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for them and that he is their savior. That's the context of that word grace to you, which when we look at it in our English translations, we completely miss it. Uh, but there is a point to that because it also affects the meaning of the word peace. Because within the context of grace, you know, referring to the grace of God shown in the work of love through Jesus Christ, his son. The uh, peace is the product of a person who has been reconciled to God. And so you get this beautiful package, these two bookends of grace to you and peace that show us, uh, you know, the complete work of salvation through Jesus Christ from God the Father in love so that we could be reconciled, uh, redeemed, forgiven, and made right with God so that we are no longer at war with him. We experience eternal peace, something that only God can give. And so Paul, as he addresses the, the, uh, the audience here, says, grace to you and peace. Grace because God showed his love through his son, Jesus Christ, which made possible through faith and trust in him for us to be reconciled to God, to experience uh, a peace with God, a peace that passes all understanding. Well, if you permit me for a few moments, I want to speak to both grace and peace, uh, because there is much for us to understand, much for us to really, truly be appreciative of when it comes to speaking about the grace of God. And I'd like to speak to unmerited, amazing grace. Because as I thought about this, uh, you know, passage, the first thing as I was, you know, you know, working through those definitions and seeing this, it reminded me the story of John Newton. And I'd like to uh, read to you uh, what brought him to saving faith. Uh, and what is a result of that saving faith, a hymn that you are probably no doubt familiar with. John Newton had been raised in a Christian home in England in his early years, but was orphaned at the age of six and moved in with a non-Christian relative. 
There, Christianity was mocked, and his goal became the escape of the conditions of this home. Newton ran away to sea and became an apprentice seaman in the British Navy and served in the Navy for some time. Once he, uh, uh, once he had his fill of this life, he deserted and ran away to Africa where he went for just one purpose. And these are his words, to sin his full. While in Africa, he joined forces with a Portuguese slave trader and was again treated cruelly. After some time under both the slave trader and his wife, Newton fled and made passage on a ship bound for England. Because of his prior navigation skills, the captain of the ship made him the ship's mate. And toward the end of their voyage, a great storm blew them off course, and the ship began sinking. Newton was sent down to work the pumps and did so for days. It was at this time that Newton cried out to God. He began to remember verses that he had been taught as a child. Right there in the bowels of that ship, John Newton trusted Christ as his Savior and became a great preacher and teacher of the Word of God in England. And as you know, he penned the great hymn that we oftentimes sing at funerals that goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. So think of that in the context of his upbringing. And if I could, you know, for just a moment as a side note to encourage, you know, because there may be some of you here that are, you know, in families that don't know the Lord. And maybe you're the only believer there is. Maybe your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, you know, you're living your life before them as an example to them, but yet you don't know if there's any, you know, fruit, if anything is, is actually making headway. Well, may I encourage you with the testimony of John Newton? Because you'll notice that when he found himself at his lowest point, when he felt as though life was about to be taken from him, after days of operating those pumps to keep that boat above waterline, is when he cried out from his heart to God for salvation through Jesus Christ. And the thing that came to his mind were all the verses that he memorized as a child before everything else ended up going where it did. Because he had no idea of knowing that at age six he would be orphaned. Or that he would end up, you know, uh, being put into a non-Christian, you know, relative's, you know, family life and experiencing all the pain and the hurt that came with that where Christianity was mocked so that the, his sole goal was to get out of that situation only to find himself in another situation of circumstances that would end up, you know, you know, taking him farther and farther away from those verses that he learned as a child. So that he could do exactly this, to sin his full, to sin his fill. So in other words, he was going to do everything that pleased him, you know, not only mentally, but physically and emotionally to fill himself with the things that this world holds dear. And it wasn't until he was at his lowest point that the, that, that salvation came to him. And just like Saul in our text who became Paul, 
And really, Paul was at his lowest point, even though he felt as though he was at the the highest point, because he was persecuting the very one who would end up being his savior. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, we need to understand, as Paul is pinning this to his audience, that grace is of God. Grace is of God, and it is always, without exception, without parameter, without qualification, unmerited. You do not deserve the grace of God. I do not deserve the grace of God. That's why it's amazing grace and how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, it is to the undeserving, which is each and every one of us, that offer of salvation so rich and free that can take us even from the lowest point, even as someone who is an absolute, complete persecutor of the church, and save them. Because that's the power of God in salvation. Unmerited, amazing grace. Well, I'd like to speak for a few more moments about the grace of God, which is also abounding. Because I don't think we really truly appreciate just how gracious God is. Most times people will come and think that God is somehow, you know, holding back or cheating them or that's not fair uh, because we look at it through the world's lens. But I want you to look at it through the lens of someone who has been saved by grace so that they can say how sweet the sound that amazing grace is. Because it is by God's grace that all creation actually happened. It is God in his almighty power who existed eternally that spoke into existence out of nothing everything that is. That's the grace of God. Because he created. It is by the grace of God that we were created actually in his image. We are, not, we are unlike every other thing that God created. We are not like the animals, no matter how much man wants to say that we came from them. We did not. And the reason I can say that with such authority is because God said it. God is the one who created everyone in his image. Every man, woman, and child, whether born or unborn, they are in his image. And the thing is, is by his grace, he created us with the capacity to have fellowship with him. Stop for a moment. Here is the the almighty God of all who has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, who creates out of nothing everything, and he, in his wisdom and in his grace, gave us the capacity to actually have fellowship with him. That's amazing grace, isn't it? You can say amen to that, by the way. It is by God's grace that we receive biblical revelation after that. It's by God's grace that we have this eternal word for us to read. To be able to know that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to know grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace that he chose Israel for his special people. And you remember biblically that there was nothing that drew God to uh, the people of Israel other than his good grace and his love. It is by God's grace 
that he sent his son, Jesus, to live a life that revealed the Godhead to us. It's God's grace that Jesus Christ took on flesh, that he was Emmanuel, God with us, that he walked the earth, that he showed mankind who God is in human form so that we would be able to identify with him so that he could identify with us all for the purpose of showing his grace to those who do not deserve. And it's by God's grace that the sinless son of God died for human sin. And I want you to just stop and take that in for a moment. It is the grace of God that the sinless son of God died for human sin. So you're telling me that the the very grace of God sent the sinless son of God down to earth to take on human flesh, to see the, the limitations of what flesh could and does do, yet without sin, walked amongst us for the purpose of offering himself as a sacrifice for me, who did not merit it, did not deserve it, was not even looking for it apart from the grace of God. It is by God's grace that we are led to trust in Christ for salvation because the scriptures tell us that, that faith is it's a gift of God, not of works, because guess what? We would boast about it. We would take credit for it. It's not I put my faith and trust in Christ. It's that amazing grace that opened my eyes so that I could trust Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's about God and his amazing grace. It is by grace that we have the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide. So salvation is not just a, you know, a blank ticket to live however you want. It is not a blank ticket for you to be able to, you know, get into heaven, but, you know, I'll just live however I want here on earth. It's not fire insurance, as some have put it, you know, that saves you from hell, but you can live however you want. No. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us not only as the seal, the scripture says, so that God gets what he pays for by the the blood that was shed by his sinless son, which was an act of grace, so that we, through uh, the Holy Spirit, can actually be taught the word of God, that we can actually read it and understand it and make it part of who we are each and every day. So that the Spirit can guide us in all truth because the world is pulling you away from the truth. It is making the truth a lie and saying that the lie is the truth. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is turn on the television. And everything that you can see that, you know, people within our country as well as in our leadership are holding on to things that are contrary, direct polar opposite to the truth of the word of God. They are shoving back into God's face his grace and his mercy. It is by the grace of God that the church has been preserved through all the ages to what we know today. I don't know about if you realize this, but we are operating under the grace of God right now. The fact that we can come together, that we have the gospel good news of salvation in Jesus Christ that was the same when Paul walked the earth is the same today. Something that we can, you know, surrender our our selfish ways and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by the grace of God that we've been brought that we will be brought forth in the final resurrection. So that as you know, you know, these earthly bodies do die. And a couple weeks ago I did a funeral for one of our, our you know beloved church family. And Jerry Groton's body is in the ground, but he is in the presence of God Almighty right now. 
because he knew the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And one day, his earthly body will be resurrected and joined with his eternal soul. Because we'll know Jerry when we see him, for everyone that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's by the grace of God that we're brought forth in that final resurrection. It is the grace of God that will sustain us throughout eternity in unbroken fellowship with God. Because that's who God is, and that's God's grace in our lives. Can I get a hallelujah for God's grace? God's abounding grace, but also God's peace. Let me permit me to share three things with you in short. Because there's three incidences in the life of Christ where peace is mentioned. And it's, it's unique where it is. First, it's at his birth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is not a peace that Jesus brought that is just a, an absence of war or a cessation of uh, you know, hostilities towards one another. This is not just a temporary state of harmony because what Jesus Christ brings through faith and trust in what he would accomplish on Calvary frees you for all of eternity to experience reconciliation and peace with God. Something that cannot be undone, it cannot be broken, because it's God's to begin with, and God will keep it. Second, just before Christ's crucifixion, in John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. That's enough right there. But listen to how he clarifies it. He says, Not as the world gives do I give to you. Because the, the peace of this world can be given and taken away. The peace that God gives us through the payment of his son's blood is eternal, permanent, without end, complete. It says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's why I have a peace with God that passes all understanding, because I know at any moment when I die, I will enter into the presence of God forever. And that is an assurance and a hope and a joy that every believer in Jesus Christ has. And it's not because of something I have done, because I am unworthy. I did not merit it. It is solely based in the grace of God. That's why it's amazing grace and how sweet the sound. And lastly, after his resurrection, John 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Because, remember, why were they afraid of the Jews? Because of people just like Saul. And so they found themselves, you know, gathering together, you know, for prayer. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Don't lose hope that even though everything outside is against you, I am with you and I have given you an eternal peace that transcends time to eternity. So don't worry. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. I am with you. And guess what? When I leave, you're not going to be all by yourself because the spirit, the comforter will come and he will indwell each and every believer. So that's the grace and the peace that the, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this, this letter uh, to those that would end up reading it, for us even today is to know the true grace to you and peace that comes from our Father, 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one last thing I want to share with you in closing. Because I want you to notice the word order. Because in the text it says, grace to you and peace. It doesn't say peace to you and grace. It says grace to you and peace. So grace comes before peace. Is by the grace of God that you can experience peace. See, God's hand is always there in grace before any spiritual blessings are bestowed. Let me say that again. Take this in. God's hand is always there in grace before any spiritual blessings are bestowed. That's why it's amazing. That's why we can't take credit for it. Because apart from the grace of God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Why is this so important, you may ask? Well, I will tell you why. It's so that salvation might be totally and entirely from God. Because if we had any part to play in the, you know, beginning stages, in the uh, uh, keeping of, we would always fall short. That's why we needed God to keep it. That's why the grace of God can do all those things from creation all the way to the point of sustaining us through eternity in unbroken fellowship with God. It has to be God's because otherwise man would mess it up. And let me give you a biblical example for you to see this played directly out. That's from the Old Testament because you can look at the example of life of Abraham. And you know from, as you read chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, Abraham was, was going to be the father of many nations, that God promised him that in his seed all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And then later on, I think it's chapter 17, uh, that uh, he is going to be the one to receive the, the rite of circumcision, which would be a sign of those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ from the, the uh, nation of Israel. And in chapter 15, verse 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because it's chapter 15, in the order of things as it's coming out, that Abraham believed. But in chapter 12 is when he was called out. See, before the promise, before the sacraments, before the faith, God came to Abraham in grace calling him out of Mesopotamia into Palestine and established a permanent relationship with him. Because God works through his grace from beginning to end, even in relation to salvation. Praise the Lord for his amazing grace and the peace that follows through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for the truths from this passage this morning. And Lord, I pray for each and every one here this morning. Lord, if there's someone here today that has not experienced the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, Lord, I pray that today they would fall on their knees, that they would repent of their sins and trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Because it doesn't matter what they've done, Because salvation is solely by your grace. It's not based on what we've done or 
uh, us thinking that there's no possible way that God could save me. Yes, he can. Because salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. John Newton understood that as he was in the bowels of that ship and as he realized where he was and what his life had amounted to at that point, he cried out to God in the, in the, the bottom of that ship as no doubt he was standing in water, fatigued after days of pumping pumps to keep the boat above waterline. For Saul... He was on his way to go and persecute and to bring into custody more Christians. And the risen Christ appeared to him at the most, what would seemingly be an opportune moment for Saul, but was God's perfect timing and grace in his life to cause him to fall to his knees in a blinding light and for him to see for the very first time with spiritual eyes that he was persecuting the very son of God who came to save. And Lord, that hope of salvation is, is here for us even today. And I pray that if there is anyone here this morning, that they would not leave this place without knowing the grace of God and knowing the peace that can come through faith and trust in Christ alone. And Lord, I pray for each believer here today that this would be an encouragement to them to, to understand as Paul is writing this letter, grace to you and peace through our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ that it means that we have salvation, salvation that comes by you showing your love to us who are unworthy, that did not merit salvation because you, you loved us through your son that much, to show your grace to each and every one of us. Lord, we want to give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory because you are truly a gracious and loving God, the only one who can give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.